welcome to Geek Fights Book Club. Uh, <laughs> with me, as always, is Mr. Mike Or No, he's not. He's not with me at all. Uh, he has a debilitating disease where he cannot read books, so he would not be in the book club. Actually, no, Mike reads a shit ton of bu- books, way more than I do. I don't know how he has the time. But with me this evening are, uh, well, I've got Janet Nowell. Say hello, Janet. Hello. Uh, Christy Woke. Hi. And the person who actually put this together, uh, that would be Karen. Hey. Uh, so I'm going to turn over the reins to you now, Karen, because I have no idea how to run a book club. <laughs> okay, that's fine. First, Christy, I totally thought your your last name was pronounced Wookie on all the emails. No, you're <laughs> <laughs> Well, we read Ender's Game, uh, to, uh if we have to use the geek fights word, pretty iconic uh, sci-fi book. Um, it won both the Hugo and the Nebula Awards, which are the two big sci-fi literary awards. Um, it's by Orson Scott Card. And what did you guys think of it? I know, Damon, you just listened to it. Yeah, because I, I don't read. I'm uh, illiterate. I only listen to books. I don't read books. But I've I've listened to quite a few books, and I, actually, it was it was really fun. I liked it a lot. I actually was riveted for the whole. What was it? Ten hours that the audiobook was unabridged. Thank you very much. I liked it a lot. Uh, how about you, Janet? I actually really enjoyed it. I don't remember the last time I've enjoyed a book so well. So yes, besides Harry Potter, of course. Had you read it before? I had never read it. No, I had heard of it, but I didn't really even know the story or anything. I had just kind of vaguely heard the name before. But so I was it was all brand new to me, but it was very nice. Christy, what did you think? Yeah, I had never read it before either, but I had heard lots of lots of good things about it and I thought it was really fun. And it was. Okay, so I guess I'm the only one that had read it before and have I guess that means that none of you have read any of the sequels. Nope. Nope. Okay. No, but I, I would like that'll to be now. <laughs> that'll be my segment. <laughs> well, I, I like I said, I'm illiterate. I have to find the book on the internet. To... I have to say, it was a very quick read, so you can find the time. <laughs> yeah, well, you could, but did I've any got... of you have a hard time believing that he was that Ender was six when he started it? Uh, no, not really, because it's one of those things where. People underestimate children all the time, uh, but if you put a child in that kind of scenario, that's what you'll get. I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. You know, if you look at pictures of children in Africa holding assault rifles at the age of 14, they've been doing that for at least five years before that, so it's close enough. I, I believe that. Yeah, that's not only that, point. but he was genetically engineered, so, I mean, there's that whole part of it, too. I, I guess I should give a synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> For I guess people you that could. have not read this before, a summary. Uh, Ender's Game is about a little boy named Andrew Wiggins. He's called Ender because he is a third, and his sister, I believe, went couldn't pronounce his name as a small child, or he couldn't. Um, and in this society, uh, a third child is practically heresy. It just doesn't happen. There's strict population control. And they find that Ender is well-suited for this uh, battle school um, where they are going to train up little kids so that they can command 
ships and fleets in the bugger wars. The buggers are this very limitedly mentioned bad guys that have come and attacked Earth twice before. Um, and I guess before we get into spoilers, uh, we can talk about it some more and then we can be all have a spoiler break and be like, this is when this is when we're going to tell you the end. Does that work for you guys? Yeah, it works. OK, <laughs> was that an accurate description of what happens? I guess yeah. what it's about. Yeah, I think that the um, the the battle school is just looking for the next great general to to lead their armies to victory against the evil alien buggers that we don't know very much about. Did anyone have any particular quote that they wanted to pick out? I always like to look at the first and last sentence of a book because I think that those are things that the authors should put in place to to be to be heavier than the other sentences in a book. Um, the first sentence in this one I, I certainly thought was, and it is, I've watched through his eyes, I've listened through his ears, and I tell you, he's the one. Yes, that was a good sentence. I was sort of um, confused at first when I first started reading because the introduction to each chapter starts out... Um, through the voice of other characters and switches over. Right. And that took me a while to kind of catch on to, to figure out who was talking. But I guess that's part of the point. Yeah. What I, I have sort of mixed feelings on the beginning of that, having read it, this will be my third time through. Um, The, if you're paying attention to what the grownups are saying, they pretty much telegraph the end of the book. Not the not the very, very tippy end, but they tell you exactly all the stuff that Ander later figures out. Yeah, but that, that's okay, because it's a book that's technically meant for children, even though adults can read it. Uh, and, it's not uh, technically meant for children. It wasn't originally written for children, but it is now thought of that way. Wow, I don't know if I'd want a young child to read that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, was, I worked in the children's department at a bookstore for five years, and this was on everybody's, like, fifth and sixth grade reading list. Oh, do you know, like I actually had a hard time finding it because when I kept going to Half Price Books, they told me that it was on um, a school reading list, and so they kept selling out of it. So I think I, I could see this for fifth graders. Um, I couldn't see it maybe for much younger than that, except for that I know that when I was a kid, I read, I started on, like, Anne Rice in fifth grade. And Yeah, I would have loved this when I was, like, 10. This would have been my favorite book. Do you guys think this is a good introduction, maybe, to people that don't read a lot of sci-fi uh, would be able to get into? I think so, because um, it sort of has those, you know, just the character development that, you know, can draw you in, even if you're not a big sci-fi fan. And actually there's not really, yeah, there's not a whole lot in here that's really inconceivable. You know, it's, it's war and we all understand war. Not even inconceivable. It's uh, not really, I mean, other than the setting itself, 
you could have put this story on Earth without going into space and just make it a different continent and people having to travel across the ocean. Like, it, the story works without the science fiction elements. I don't know that that's true. Really? Really. Because I think one of the very important themes of it is to stop thinking like a land-bound Earthling. And that's, I mean, Orson Scott Card talks about that and his, uh, I guess, comments after the audiobook. But that's what I found most striking about it when I first read it is I had not, I'd watched Star Trek and you can tell even watching Star Trek that they keep the up-down orientation really well. Yeah. Or really consistently. I, it had never occurred to me that in space there is no up or down. Right. And so I think that that is an important theme to the book. And while you could technically take the plot and put it anywhere else, the training of, you know, a new general, I don't think that it would be as engaging without having that reorientation of the reader. I guess, but as an introduction to science fiction, I, I, I guess it's one of the, the, the easiest books that you could get into because you wouldn't think it's science fiction while reading it. Because it really does, by the end, it's definitely science fiction because, you know, well, we're not going to talk about that right now. But by the end, it's definitely science fiction. But through most of the book, it's just a matter of, like, even the, the, the what you're talking about there is just a, a reorganization of the way you think. Right. Like, like uh, African soldiers, when they went up against the British folks, and British had guns and they had spears. They eventually won. They eventually beat them. Uh, what is it? I can't remember his name. Shaka Zulu. He eventually won, but because he changed his way of thinking, it was it, it wasn't. It had nothing to do with you know spatial orientation or anything like that. It's not science fiction. It's just changing the way you think for battle. I guess that's a good point. Um, so I know nothing about Shaka Zulu, Damon. I'm white. Really, you don't know uh, that he overrun the the overran the British as they were coming to take Swahili. I can't remember which land it is, but yeah. No, I have no idea. Okay, sorry, uh, sorry. <laughs> I know about uh, foreign generals. My bad. <laughs> well, let's let's get spoilery here, um, and I'm going to read the last sentence of the book. Um, and then I guess we could talk about the sort of the two, when I read it the first time and what you guys probably did, the, the two big reveals. Um, the last sentence is, he looked a long time. And it's uh, talking about trying to find a home for the bugger queen. Yeah. So there was the, the second of the big reveals was that the buggers were not had decided not to be hostile and that they had you know reached into Ender's thoughts what did did that catch anyone by surprise I no. yeah I think so I wasn't expecting that um I didn't see the twist coming at the end of the book um being that he was um when he was in the little simulator at the battle well it wasn't at the battle school the second place Com they took him. Command school. Yes, thank you. I didn't. I didn't see that twist coming that he was actually fighting the real war instead of just the simulations like they were telling him. But uh, just me, be me. <laughs> uh, the the that particular twist. 
I kind of, I kind of, it's not that I saw it, or, or but I, I kind of saw it coming, like, because I, I, I kind of figured out really early on that the buggers were not actually a threat anymore, that they weren't coming anymore, even though yeah. it, it doesn't come up in the book. It was just one of those things where it's a simple miscommunication, and I could see the other side going, oh, oh, shit, especially when they started talking about how the buggers have to communicate. Once that came into play, I was like, oh, they they are probably somewhat peaceful. They're not as evil as they're trying to make them out to be. Right, and they hadn't come back to attack in, what, like 70 years or something? Yeah. So Some, it's been so long that, yeah. At least that's what my thoughts were. Yeah, I feel like, well, I mean, when I was doing I feel like... um he really told you everything that was happening throughout the book before it happened. So. Yeah. Early. Like, and I, not that, and I'm not saying that's bad. I mean, I just, it's just, everything is foreshadowed and every, and he practically tells you. And I mean, just the fact that, you know, when Andrew's a kid, he's always the bugger. And, you know, he always sympathizes with the other side, with the losing side, with whoever is against, the normal side that you're supposed to be on. I just, I just, I just could see that. That's a, that's a really good point. I would be interested to go back and read it again and see, you know, what I catch the second time around. Like, like when you go back and watch Sixth Sense after, you know, the twist at the end and you see it throughout (laughs) the whole movie. I I bet it's a lot like that. It kind of brings up a, a point of Ender's shadow, which is, uh, technically a sequel, what it really is is uh, a companion novel, which is from the perspective of Bean. So it takes Bean from being a two-year-old, and oh, it really wow. even goes younger than that, you know, through flashbacks and stuff like that, and follows him through Ender's story. Ender's shadow ends when Ender comes out of the battle simulator that last time. And I don't want to put anyone off from reading it (laughs) um, because (laughs) my boyfriend Adam actually read Ender's Shadow before he read Ender's Game and so found Ender's Game, like he loved Ender's Shadow and then found Ender's Game to be sort of a fleshing out of the other side. Whereas I found Ender's Shadow to be a tainting of Ender's game. Okay. Um, but I, I think that's my particular attitudes towards Bean. Um, because I'd read Ender's Game first, I had this idea of who Bean was. And in my head, he was a lot more carefree than what he is in Ender's Shadow. Um, in Ender's Shadow, and I won't give any spoilers in case one of you does want to listen to it, but... Um, he starts out on the streets of one of the Earth cities and running with a street gang, and he's like a two-year-old. Um, and, and super, super intelligent. Um, he is so far beyond even Ender in genius-level stuff, it felt a little less believable to me. Um, because I was like, really? I've had There's some parts of Ender's game where I thought they were stretching it with, you know, him being six years old. I can only imagine talking about a two year old. Oh yeah. Or talking yeah. about a, a seven month old. Uh, <laughs> and there, there is something that happens 
when he's that little that just has you going, really? But I guess if you can break that barrier of disbelief, then it's good. Um, now, for once Bean gets to battle school, um, you it sort of rewrites some of it. It rewrites that Bean is this really viable and considered alternative to Ender. That when I read Ender's Game, I felt like Ender was the only option. I can sort of see that, though, because they did promote Bean, like, very quickly when Ender was leaving battle school to go to, well, he went back to Earth and then to the command school, but they gave Bean his own army at that point, which, you know, he was still really young um, for that to happen. So I could I could sort of see that, that they saw a lot of promise in him, too. And it was one of those, they didn't know when the buggers were, well, they knew when they were going to attack the buggers. So it was a, it, w- it was a, they wanted to have somebody ready, and if there was enough time, Bean, I could see them trying to prep Bean as well. Like, it, it, it was kind of there. It wasn't they, completely there. They did more than that in en- Ender Shadow, though. It wasn't just that they were prepping him. It was that they were using him sort of as a fail-safe. Like, in yeah. the, in the command school... In the command school simulations, when they're actually fighting the war, Bean has an override button. Oh. Basically, if Ender drops huh. out and loses his shit, this is yours. And Well, you got to have a backup, I guess. Sort of the most egregious rewrite that, I, that bothered me was that in Ender's Shadow, Bean is the one who comes up with the list for Dragon Army. Hmm. Um, but we're talking about Ender's Game, so... I, okay, fine. Luckily, we don't have to talk about that. What, what I'm saying <laughs> is, is that um, if you're wanting to reread Ender's Game to look for some of those foreshadowings, definitely that's awesome. If you're wanting to look at it from another perspective and an interesting perspective, if you can get past that disbelief, Ender's Shadow might be a really awesome read for you. Well, I'm interested. I might check that out, too. Uh, uh, One thing I found to be very creepy in the book is there there, there really aren't any... There is no romance because they're children, but there is a romance between uh, Ender and Valentine that is almost incestuous. It's really creepy, but that's because I was listening to it audiobook-wise. I don't know how it... I didn't see that incestuous in the book. Well, yeah. the, now there is a relationship in the book between Petra oh, yeah. and yeah, but it's just not. I mean, they're kids, so I mean, right? You, you really can't not the have same romance. thing as when you're adults, yeah. Uh, but uh, but it was one of those things where I, I actually listened to the uh, audio book, and at, at the end of the audio book, uh, Card comes on and says, "This is actually the format he would have most preferred Ender's Game to be in. It's that actual format." and Listening to an older female voice with an older male voice talking to each other, reading the exact words that he put on the page, it sounds really, really, it it, it really sounds like two old lovers talking, and it's weird. That was probably a poor choice in casting, (laughs) because it didn't come across like that in the book. But that was one thing that I actually really liked about this story was that because they were all kids, you didn't have that romantic element thrown yeah. in. Me too. I hate 
I don't like romance. Yeah, because <laughs> so that was very refreshing. The whole story. <laughs> oh, um, one thing I did want to talk about is um, how you felt about not necessarily because it's and it's only hinted at the sort of society that is set up on Earth right at the time. The population controls how religion's treated. How did you guys feel very- about that? Cold War also, like, there's a definite divide between, like, two, the two major powers, even though we're a supposed united government, um, world government. Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of, uh, kind of cool. It was one of those things where I, I liked the little bit of politics that you got in the book from, uh, Peter and, uh, Valentine, that, that, what they were doing on Earth. I liked that. As a matter of fact, you know, when I, when I heard about, uh, what is it, the book Speaker of the Dead and uh, Ender Shadow, I was hoping it would be that stuff, but I know Speaker of the Dead is uh, Ender going off to find a place for the Queen, and then Ender Shadow is, of course, the story of Bean. So it was like, oh, but that's the story, uh, that that part of the story was what I wanted to read. I wanted to see, or listen to, I, I wanted to see what happened with Peter. You know, did he become evil? He became ruler of the world, but did he become an evil ruler of the world? Was he the next Hitler? I, th- I like that stuff. That's actually handled in um, Shadow of the Hegemon, which is the... Not Shadow. Is it Shadow of the Hegemon? It's the one right after Ender Shadow, and I haven't read it. I think that's right. I'm but looking at my table of contents <laughs> thing right here. <laughs> I should also mention that Speaker for the Dead is not about Ender finding a place for the queen. It is very muchly about, and it has that at the end, like probably more than halfway through. It is about a very awesome setting, an awesome planet, and the things that happen there. And humanity, it's another one where humanity fundamentally misunderstands an alien race and has one of the coolest, coolest alien aliens that I've ever seen read about and don't don't spoil it for me i'm not going to spoil it for you (laughs) you should definitely listen to it it is amazing um xenocide which is the book after that one i believe more directly deals with ender and the bugger queen what i was going to say about religion and the the society of ender's game was uh it's strongly hinted at and this may be it may be Alison Scott Card's Mormonism coming in. It may just be anyone who has ever felt uh, religiously marginalized, that sort of uh, sentiment. But the dystopia that he has set up is definitely one where religion is completely discouraged, but you still find that his mother prays over him and a lie. Um, and I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, but, um, he, you know, says Muslim things, and I don't remember what it, exactly what it was. It might have been Shalom. Shalom. Yeah. To, to Ender, and that is a secret experience, like a very, very special thing, because nobody, nobody has mysticism. Um, right. Yeah, I, I feel like in this dystopian future, you know, it may... Well, I mean, even today, like, I know kids my age, it's, like, frowned upon to be religious in any way. But um, in this 
dystopian future, not only is religion upon and there's a, a, a child, you know, limit, you can only have so many children, which is very possible in the future. What do you, what is the government going to do when you're out populating the world? But the point of the whole thing is that nobody really gets rid of what they, you know, what they believe or what they grew up with. Because, I mean, and he talks about how Andrew's parents are both from different religious backgrounds and they grew up very religious and they had, you know, multiple children or at least one of his parents had like six brothers and sisters or something like that. And he was so ashamed growing up. And I just thought that was a very interesting dynamic to have to hear about, like, and that they want so badly to reform their lives and be part of, you know, the society and fit in, but they just can't get, they can't let go of their, you know, religion. And I mean, his dad secretly baptizes him or something and his mom secretly prays over him. And he knows these things, but he doesn't know that anybody else's family is like that. So that was the importance of needing a lie. And I, I thought that was very nice. I wondered if they actually really did want to reform that badly. Like, I felt like maybe they did pay lip service to it and they acted ashamed in the way that, um, you know, someone who's really, really into, I don't know, RPGs around the cool kids might be like, oh, no, not those. The parents might be like, oh, no, not seven kids when secretly they. Go ahead. Go ahead. Secretly, they want to express their religion in that way. Yeah, I feel like there's also an, a, you know, how keeping up with the Joneses aspect of it, like oh, they have this kind of car, oh, they have, you know, that that sort of thing, you know, like really wanting to be like everyone else is very important to, you know, a lot of people. Well, I, and, I think that is an aspect. Well, not just that. This uh, societal backlash that you would get for having too many kids, it's pretty big. Brainwashing like, the public to think that that's awful. Right, that like, they, would, they like, did. They snicker at you, yeah. Like, you know, as, as a child, if you were the third child, you would get totally, uh, totally bullied all the way through school until you, uh, you know, maybe had kids of your own, and guess how many kids you were having? Two. Because you <laughs> didn't want your kids to go through that, so... Right, and I don't know if they just didn't tell this point of view, but it didn't seem like Inder's parents were really all that upset when he got drafted off to battle school. Like, they were sort of sad to see him go, but at the same time, you sort of saw that little bit of relief. Like, yeah. oh, now we only have two children, so now we won't be so abnormal. Yeah, And it really never went back to his parents after he left, other than to show a little interaction between them and Peter and Valentine, but it mostly focused on the other, on the brother and sister. And so you didn't really get to to tell, but like they, they said, for example, like Valentine was the only one that would remember Ender on his birthday. And, you know, it just never mentions the, the parents involved in any of that. So I thought that was a little sad that they didn't really miss him or it didn't seem like it. Yeah, uh, they're so concerned with, you know, being a part of society, even though part of them is pulling them back to what they grew up with in their childhood, that they want it so bad that they're willing to, you know, all right, well, I'm with their lives, let's, let's go. I, I think that was actually just a way of uh, reinforcing that the adults are the bad guys in the book. Yeah, uh, and well, we- 
Go ahead. You first because I'm talking a lot now. <laughs> but the uh, there, there's a uh, there's a, a detachment that happens about halfway through the book. No, it's not even that. It's really early. It's in like the third or fourth chapter where where uh, uh, who's the uh, leader of uh, Battle School? Graph is a real dick to Ender, but in the, in the wrong way where he kind of fucks him over, and then it's like, oh shit. And then Ender realizes he's on his own. He can't rely on adults. And this is part of Card's thing where early on in the book, he's fo- he's foreshadowing it. His parents, you know, they do have some kind of emotion about it, but they, they, they moved on because you can't trust adults. And that's what the book is, is kind of hammering home the whole time because adults lie from beginning to end. I don't know that I completely agree with either of you. I think that because they knew ahead of time when they had this baby that they only had Ender for the purpose of the government, that they never really got attached to him. And therefore, because it made it easier to let him go, it would be, and I don't know if this ever actually happens, but it happened once on, like, House or something, where the parents had a baby just to be an organ donor for for the older child. I remember that. (laughs) And they never bond with the baby. Yes. Because, yeah, because yeah, how old is the baby? They've had Ender for six years, so it's not like they have no attachment at all. But I feel like even when um, Valentine is writing for what is the name of her? What's her pseudonym? Demosthenes. Yeah. Um, like he, she's pretty much that character that she's being on the net is like the Rush Limbaugh of today, and her dad like totally buys into it. And I feel like that's another part of it is how adults. Not only can they not be trusted, but they can be just, they can go along with anything that somebody's feeding them. And I feel, I feel like that's, you know, that, that's what reinforces how they can easily forget about Ender. And I might have, I mean, I don't have kids and I don't know anybody who has kids. So maybe that's why I feel, you know, differently. Well, now you know two people that have kids, because both me and Janet have utilized our youth. I know. (laughs) And my son, Colin, is actually six years old right now, and so the first part of this book, like, really got me, because I just kept picturing him in all of these same situations that Ender was in, and that's, like, kind of heartbreaking, because, I mean, you wouldn't want, well, I guess, you know, Ender was raised differently and was genetically engineered for all this and, and everything, but, like... You know, that would just break my heart if my son was, like, getting bullied at school, you know, or mm. all that that he had, had to, to go, go up through. to battle school. Right. Mm. And, like, I would be heartbroken if he had to go away to battle school. <laughs> so, And you'd never see him again until he was, like, 16. Right. Unless That's he horrible. gets to leave when he's 12. Yeah. yeah. And they actually never see him again either. That's at least true. He never goes back to Earth. By that he point, yeah. It's Earth. easy to forget something. Yeah, he goes back to Earth, and the only one that comes to see him is Valentine, and that's because the government is like, hey, you gotta, you got to give him something to fight for. Yeah, well, I don't even think, I mean, Ender didn't want anything to do with him at that point anyway. No. Really, we, not even Valentine. So, I, I mean, he all he knows, they Valentine. Yeah, I know. But, I mean, at that point, when he's back on Earth for the first time, oh, you yeah. know, yeah, I mean, for all he knows, they don't, I mean, he doesn't know that they ever wrote letters because they don't give him any. He does no case things that they completely forgot about him. Right, right. And when when you're busy, when you have a lot going on, like Ender has a lot going on, I mean, things like that kind of slide to the wayside, too. 
he had like deep resentment towards Eve. I mean, I feel like especially Valentine because she wasn't there anymore to take care of him. Yeah, especially once he had time to think about it, which was that four month, five month period on Earth where he they were yeah. just waiting. Well, does anyone else have anything they wanted to bring up? Um, well, of course, me being the Harry Potter nerd that I am, I saw tons of connections between Harry and Ender. <laughs> and <laughs> so I was I was thinking about that the whole time. Did anybody else notice that? No. I was really? To. Go ahead, Ed. Maybe if I thought about <laughs> Janet, I, I looked yes, through the the fanfiction.net section for Ender's Game mm-hmm. and one Jane Slash Fiction? Yeah. Oh not God. like hardcore stuff. <laughs> but like <laughs> a between like him and Dean? romance. Yes. Oh uh, not Dean. <laughs> and there is there is a few crossovers. And I was like and I'm surprised there's not an Ender's Game Harry Potter crossover. Because there's a Her- there's two Ender's Game Chronicles of Narnia crossovers. There is one. Okay, there will be now Ender's Game Stargate Atlantis crossover. Oh my god, <laughs> that's awesome! <laughs> there is one Ender's Game, and I don't know if anyone but me has watched this, but Hetalia is like an anime. It's crazy where they like personify the countries taking in World War One and Two. It's completely crazy, and the crossover involves Ender making friends with Italy and having a relationship with with Germany. It's so weird. Wow. It, uh, what's weird, though, is how oddly <laughs> Narnia fits with that, because uh, not because of the subject matter, but because of the authors and how you know their religion kind of informs their writing. Because Narnia is uh, is really uh, what is it? Somebody told it to me like three years ago, and I was like, wait, what? Uh, Aslan is God? No. Oh, Jesus. come on. Oh, that's right. He's <laughs> he Jesus. Jesus. Got crucified. Yeah, I never saw it because I never, didn't pay attention to it that way. And, the, you know, I... The entire last book is Revelations, right? Well, I, you're talking <laughs> to somebody who... The first book is the creator. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know. I've never read the Narnia books, and I've never seen the yeah. movies, and I haven't read the Bible. Right. <laughs> Think about the Bible yeah. when you read, you read them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and and the Stargate Atlantis one I can kind of see too because I'm going to read that as soon as we're off the phone. I'm reading that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but seriously, like, <laughs> okay, so like Harry Potter was recruited to save the world too when he was just a little kid, and it was mm-hmm. something that was totally out of his control, and he was. I think that they were both sort of, you know, brought up in the same type of way. Like, they're the little pig for slaughter. Because, like, nobody cared what happened to Ender as long as he saved the world. They didn't care if he went insane or if he died from exhaustion or if he got beat up. You know, nobody cared. Or killed children. Right. manipulated him in a way, Harry, in ways to give him skills without telling him what they were doing. Now, right. they, they did that probably a little less skillfully than they did to Ender because they had Ender very focused. But you're right. They did some some of the same thing. Oh, yeah. And Harry had to grow up with Dudley beating him up all the time, just like Ender had big brother Peter always abusing him. 
And also, like, the parents, well, like, Harry's parents, quote, you know, his aunt and uncle that he lived with were people that didn't really want him. And I got that same sort of sense for, for Ender's parents because, you know, he was that odd third child that made him socially awkward and, you know, brought attention on their family that they probably didn't want. So I don't know. I just saw a whole lot of little connections, but that's just because I'm a Potterhead. <laughs> no, <laughs> when you mention it, they, they are there. You can't deny them. I will agree with you wholeheartedly. I just yeah. see everything through Potter eyes. There's there's definitely a lot of differences, but I think the coming of age uh, protagonist is certainly a, a go-to for YA fiction, and um, they're both heroes in a, in a way. What what I liked about the book is the fact that you lose track of how old he is several times. Like when he's six, yeah. you're, 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 you're like, uh, uh, but you you're told he's six at the beginning of the book, and then it is until he's like seven. He's like, am I seven now? That you that you're told again how old he is, and by that uh, you aren't thinking of him as a six year old when when that happens. It's like because he doesn't act like a six year old. Does not act like a six year old. Well, they don't treat him like one, and he, I mean, you know, that's the whole point. Yeah is, yeah, that childhood has been stripped away from him, and he's not seen that way, he doesn't feel that way, it's it's gone. It's not that anymore. He never had it, which is a shame. So in the movie, I think, the, the upcoming movie that's coming out in 2013. Um, so excited! I am wondering how old they're playing Ender. Um, I know the actor that's playing him is 12. But he he's kind of small though. Like he's the right. kid from Hugo, if you guys saw that. And he was also in Boy in the Striped Pajamas, who which was a really good movie. Um, but I think that he could play younger, you know, because he's still small. Well, I don't know by by the time the movie comes out, but you know, I can see them aging him. You know, from like maybe eight ish, like up to you know fourteen, maybe. Okay. And, you know, so I can see, like, going through the whole battle school, command school kind of years. Uh, uh, Karen, did you finish what Card was talking about? I did. And so you heard him t- uh, over and over with the studios. They wanted to make him older than 12 so they could have a romance in it. Oh. Uh, uh, that they wanted you, romance. You should send those files to, to Janet and Christy. I will. Because um, it's really good comments. Um, they wanted to play because it's also hard to find child actors that can really, really act. Right. Um, I think for the movie, I'm excited. It's one of the few movies that I am excited, and I hope they filmed it for it for 3D because I think that the disorientation that you experience in the book because of the 3D changes, um, the change of orientation, sh- would be a great way to get you into the movie. That's true. We didn't talk about Battle School at all. Battle School. Talk about it, Damon. <laughs> I'm just saying we didn't talk I about it. I want to go to Battle School. I do well, not I mean, want to go to Battle School. You know, like, you know, like well, how you go to space camp? Like, no. I want to go to Hogwarts <laughs> for like a week. I, I, I want to go to I'm, Battle School for a week and just play the games. Nope. I want to play I, the fantasy game. The game sounded scary because you have to watch. Well, it sounds like it was you know, scary you're guy. playing a little avatar character, but you're dying all the time in horrible ways. 
And well, I don't think I'd like to see a cartoon of myself die. Yeah, the that that was the the fantasy game that he was playing was a little weird, but it was it was one of those things that it was it was training, and then then the nobody's ever gotten this far. That fantasy game, he beat the troll or not the, the, yeah, giant. the giant. He beat the, the giant. giant. Nobody's oh. ever beaten the giant. And then he was, like crawled through the giant's eyeball, and you know. Well, was, that's how he beat the giant by crawling through his uh, eyeball. I don't know anyone who's died by having their eye gouged out. No. <laughs> Well, I it wasn't personally. I still thought the Giants game or the fantasy game that was those were some of my favorite scenes in the book. Like I remember the first two times I read through Ender's Game, really finding the Peter and Valentine parts boring, and really loving the battles and the the fantasy game. And so I I tried to read through it this time going really critically thinking, are these just the most fast-paced parts, or what is it about these parts that capture me, versus why is the the parts with Peter and Valentine so bad? Um, and it changed in that I found the parts with Peter and Valentine not anymore and enrapturing, I suppose. I didn't get lost in them like I get lost in some of the other things. But I did find that I hated Peter a whole lot more. Like, I felt like I knew him better and hated him harder um, in a more personal way. Well, uh, that part is necessary because over and over in the book, they tell you that Ender is part Peter and part Valentine. And, And knowing that Peter is part uh, sorry, Ender is part Peter and part Valentine is fine, but you don't know who they are. So you actually have to learn them a little bit and learn what they what they do and how they work to understand Ender just a little bit better. Yeah, and he also, I mean, Hart also goes through the whole thing that they're doing on the nets is that Valentine's playing the awful person and Peter's playing the good person, so nothing is as it seems. So that's how, I mean, that was part of the reason why I knew that those games were real at the end, because nothing is ever as it seems in this book. (laughs) But um, (laughs) I really loved all that political shit, because I love political shit. But, like, one one of the paragraphs that I marked out was, um, um, Valentine talking about perhaps it's impossible to wear an identity without becoming what you pretend to be and this reminded me of people who, you know, say things to get, you know, sensational attention just to say things and if you say stuff enough your brain kind of thinks like that and she was finding herself doing that and that's scary. That's a scary thing to realize. I agree. Definitely. Oh, Valentine, I love you so. Does anyone else get just annoyed with her name? Uh, a little. I I didn't like her name. That's okay. He was a young dude writing a book, and it had it was you know a saint's name, so (laughs) Valentine. Yeah. It kind of plays into her sweetness, though, and we know that her sweetness is not. She's not as sweet as she looks, not as sweet as her name. She's really only sweet towards Ender. She's not... Well, it's not like she's a mean person, but, you know, she's 
that's where everyone everyone in the book has elements of good and bad in them, even the really bad people and yeah. even the really good people. Well, uh, yeah. Valentine w- just lacked a killer instinct. She's everything that Peter is and Ender is, but she just lacked that killer instinct. And that's what actually makes her slightly more dangerous is even though she lacked the killer instinct, didn't mean she couldn't use it. And she did when she was writing those stories and doing some other things when she learned that she could manipulate Peter. That that was a moment where I was like, oh, and, and it scared her. Like, wait, I can manipulate him? He's trying to manipulate me. I can hear it right now. I can tell. I like yeah. that. I like that, too. But that would be a scary realization to realize that you have some influence over this, you know, potentially deadly person. Not potentially deadly. He was deadly. Well, <laughs> He was killing squirrels. That was fucked up. He wasn't just killing squirrels. He was slaying them and watching them die yeah. after he opened them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a little more than just killing, like, with a BB gun. Right. He was, he, he was, but he that was a thing. That was the thing that I, I liked about Peter was the fact that at, by the end of the book, he seemed like an all right dude. Like, you don't get... The, it's not that. It's just that he couldn't have power not being like that. And right. he wants the power. So I don't have, I don't think he's, I mean, I haven't read the book, so, you know, um, maybe I'll be proven wrong if I ever read that far. But that's why I thought that he would, unless Ender was on Earth and he could use Ender to gain more power, I don't think he would ever be evil because if he had to be, if he had to get power himself, the only way he could do it was being locked. The only way he could do it was being good, even though he's not. Mm -hmm. I think that's actually how the book does go. Um, well, good. <laughs> so you might be That's very good. interested in that. I don't. <laughs> I tend to to not like the political stuff, but I I understand that the second book in the Ender uh, continuation is very political, and so you might really really love those. Awesome. Whereas uh, Speaker for the Dead is more philosophical and uh, about the. Uh, the alien race that's there and the setting. It's very awesome setting-wise. Can you imagine how spooky it is or it would be if you flew for like a year to get to one of those emptied out, hollowed out colonies after, you know, just moving into a place where you just killed everyone that lived there? Yeah, that is weird. (laughs) It's not. It's not weird. It, it's it's horrifying. Like that's, that's. I don't. I couldn't do it. Like even if I thought that there was impending war on Earth between you know basically the Russians and the United States, um, I don't know that I could still. I mean, I mean, I could go colonize some pla- other place, but I don't know if I could move into a place where we've just killed every single, like no, we completely genocided. Just there's no more. Even yeah. if every the queen, buildings are standing, their fields are standing. Like I don't know that I could do that. But even if the queen oh, know, gave permission, that was very lovely at the end. How he was, um, you know, reading. I don't remember what it was. He wasn't reading something, but he just got the sense of what happened because it was in his brain. Because they were sort of communicating with him. Mm-hmm. What the queen did, like she would have, you know, many daughters and she would kill all the ones that were, you know, violent until they were all, you know, 
compassionate. Compassion is like another thing in the book that's like a big deal throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But just how the queen knew that we didn't know and she accepted their fate, you know, and she understood that it was their fault, even though it was just a misunderstanding. Like I just, I think stuff like that. I think, I think way too much, just like that queen, <laughs> you know, I, I, I know I can, I can empathize with the other side and in many sides and myself. And just, I just, I just love hearing that other people do that. So thank you. Orson Scott card. I like that it was a misunderstanding. The whole war was just a misunderstanding. Yeah. Like they they couldn't communicate with each other, and it, and it was one of those things where communication is vital. And they it, and it talks about it because that's how Peter takes over the world with communication. Like it's not it's not uh, the the message is communicate. God damn it! At least that's what I what I picked up. Oh, and little kids are badass. Watch them. Watch them. <laughs> All right, does anyone else have anything wanted to bring up? Otherwise, I was going to call a wrap. I think um, we kind of covered it. That weird sex scene in the middle. <laughs> oh, wait, can I say something? Because that reminds me. Because you say weird sex scene in the middle. I was joking. Was, no, no, I know, I know. But what was the name of the... I don't remember his name. But he was like one of the people that Andrew was kind of looking up to. And he was sort of nice to him. And... He was uh, the leader of one of the groups, or maybe it was just of that one tune. He was the leader of that one tune and rap mm-hmm. or whatever it was. And he was just floating in the middle of the game room. Mm-hmm. Oh. Like, that to me was, like, sounded, I mean, just, I don't know why, but I got a feeling of just, like, almost sexualness of, like, being enveloped in space. I don't know. It was something weird. But just only because you brought that up. I totally got that vibe for some reason. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, what was with all the naked little boys? Well. They were that, always naked. They were yeah, naked a lot. Yeah, and the random girl mixed in with all the naked boys. But it, but it was very not sexual at all. It was okay. just a matter of, you know, as a matter of fact, you, like humans. utilitarian. Yeah, it's like, that's, that's what it is. Like, who cares? Like, when you're raised that way, it doesn't make any difference. And and they, there's even points where. Well, she hasn't changed any yet, so there's no reason why she should be changing by herself. Like, there there was no sexuality whatsoever in the book, which was odd, except for, seriously, if you listen to the audiobook version I listen to. <laughs> that's really creepy. It, it really is, but, and Card says that's exactly how he wanted it to sound. That's creepy. what actually, not creepy, it, there is there is love that is beyond sibling love between those right kids. but that's not it's not a sexual love it isn't until you hear it <laughs> <laughs> okay because so he wanted you to hear a sexual love between the siblings no he didn't want because you to hear so it deep. but but it was it was a love that was beyond sibling love it was it was it was a pure love which when you hear it coming out of the vo- uh, out of the mouths of adults always <laughs> has some kind of sexual connotation with it even though it's not supposed to uh, oh, yeah. But that was, I think that was one of the other hearts of the story was love and communication, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all I have to say. Okay. Anything else, Karen? No, I don't have anything. I didn't know if you want to do cred or pimp your shit or 
any of that. It's your episode. Oh, well, then we're not doing geek cred or pimp your shit. Wait, we can ask awesome. who's... Wait, what's your favorite book? See? There. Oh, don't ask that. That's like okay. asking if you... Do you like music? Do you like music? Okay, <laughs> fine. What are you reading right now? Pimp, there you go. Pimp one book. <laughs> pimp a okay, book, Janet, um, that's not Harry Potter. Wait, wait. I can pimp a book okay, right now. Fine. Pier- then I might pi- be stuck. <laughs> uh, Piers Anthony, book six, uh, Incarnations of Immortality uh, for the Love of Evil. It's an impossible book to find, but it's one of my all-time favorites. That's bullshit, Damon. I've seen, like, a thousand <laughs> copies at the House really? Books in, And I gave you one. I oh, you didn't? I you one. I have it on my bookshelf, and I totally... It has extra. <laughs> oh, you meant to send it to me. Yeah. Okay, see, I don't have it. I always look for it here, and I can never it's find it. It's the one about evil? Yeah, it's one about the devil. I'll it's send you one. it. I'll send you it. But it's one about Satan, sorry. My okay. bad. I'll send it to you. Anyway... <laughs> Janet? Well, I actually just finished reading Ender's Game, like, last week, so I haven't read anything since then. I thought you were going to plug it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Read Ender's Game. It's great. <laughs> no, but seriously, I do want to go pick up some of the other ones in the series now because I, I really did enjoy it a lot. Chrissy! I am reading Dr. Faustus. It's the last book that Thomas Mann ever wrote. He's my favorite author. Um, and it, it follows um, this kind of crazy, but he's just what it, pianist. He's like this amazing musician. And it mirrors the legend of Faust and, you know, how he sold the soul, his soul for the, or to the devil. And it kind of mirrors the rise of the Third Reich. And it's really, really good. That's what I'm reading. Well, uh, oh wait, Karen. Karen reads like a book every day. That's not entirely true, but I do read a lot of books. I just today I finished reading a book called Savvy. It's S A V V Y, and it's sort of a. It was a Newbery Award winner, which the Newbery Award is sort of the award for YA and children's novels. Um and. It's about a girl who is in a family, and they sort of get superpowers when they turn 13, but they're not really superpowers. It's like uh, her mama's superpower is that she's perfect. So even when she messes up, she messes up perfectly. (laughs) Um, And her grandma could pluck sound waves out of the air and put them in a jar. Um, And she is about to turn 13 and just before her 13th birthday, her dad gets in a really, really bad car accident. And so all she's hoping for is that her savvy is going to be something that can help him. Um, and it, it turns out that it's not, but they go on this, you know, her mom and her brother. Don't ruin the book for us. I'm not ruining it. I'm telling you the beginning. They, they go down and, I'm sorry, am I being too long, Damon? No. No. Okay. No. They they go down to to see her the her papa and leave her behind with the preacher and the preacher's wife and their two kids and she ends up ho- sort of stowing away on a on a bus and there's a road trip and the really amazing thing about the book is that even though there's these superpowers in play um 
it's all very ordinary feeling. It feels like if you took a a regular realistic story about a 13-year-old stowing away on a bus and then threw in these extra elements, like they're very realistic feeling um, and yet very simple. There's not, it just focuses very narrowly. I thought it was a very beautiful book. Very beautifully spoken. (laughs) Thank you. It sounds cool. All right, so we're done. Uh, So we're almost done. Uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, Check out uh, stuff that we do. Oh, (laughs) I've totally been all up on the Tumblr. Yeah, I've Uh, noticed that, but I wasn't going to do that. Fine. Geekfights.tumblr, that's T-U-M-B-L-R.com. Sometimes Chris Mitchell gets on there, but lately I've been a blogging fool. But, um, uh, yeah, in a couple weeks, a month, uh, we're going to do best sci-fi fantasy novel. So you'll get to hear more of the stuff that we talked about from Ender's Game, because it'll definitely be on the list, plus a bunch of other books. Um, right, if you like us, uh, hit us up with an email, or geekfights at gmail.com. Or you or can on- leave a review on iTunes. Nobody's done that in, like, seven months. I, I looked. Had the iTunes reviews, and I was the last person to leave one, and that was like a year ago. Yeah, see? That is so sad. I'm going to make another account so I can leave another review. Yeah. It, you don't have to do <laughs> make that. Make multiple accounts. You don't have, <laughs> don't have to make multiple accounts. We're, we're happy with what we get. We're happy with all of you. Sorry. But uh, rate and review us on iTunes, Zoom Network. Uh, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter or Geek Fights on both of those. And uh, what, 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 what do we say? We should say be quiet in the library. <laughs> no silence in the library like Doctor si- Who. Silence in the library like Doctor Who. That's really a whole sentence that somebody says? Really? No. no. I was just joking. I was, oh I was just joking. But anyway, uh, keep fighting the geek fight. And uh, Menudo is an awesome band from the <laughs> 1980s. The lead singer turned out to be gay, but that's all right. Menudo's awesome. This was a triumph. Making a note here, huge success It's hard to overstate my satisfaction Aperture science We do what we must because we can For the good of all of us Except the ones who are dead But there's no sense crying over every mistake You just keep on trying till you run out of cake And the science gets done And you make a neat gun For the people who are still alive I'm not even angry I'm being so
think I prefer to stay inside Maybe you'll find someone else to help you Maybe Black Mesa 